are changing things up because we are continuing on our series of trained up, developing the skills of faith. And this morning we're looking at the discipline of worship. And so we're actually going to worship post-message today instead of pre-message. I love singing worship. I always have. It was throughout all of my growing up years and still is probably my favorite part of the church gathered is lifting our voices up together to sing the praises of God. And I want to insert that word singing intentionally because while singing worship is worship, worship is not singing songs. Worship extends so much further than our song services and it extends so much further than this building, right? But we've gotten so used to using those two words synonymously. And so this morning, as we look at worship, we're going to look beyond that because worship is not just singing, although we will use that context in some of what we're talking about. But we want to look at the pattern of worship that extends to our life and to so many other ways that we glorify the name of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are everything. And as we look at this idea of the discipline of worship, it's really just giving you what you already are due, what you deserve, coming in reverence before you. And so would you help us to have the heart of a worshiper this morning in looking for the truth of who you are, the truth of how you operate in our lives God, as always, I just pray that you would speak this morning, and not me, but that your words, because you are the one who brings all truth and all change, would go forth in your precious name. Amen. When I think of a worshiper, right, David, and it actually came up in our pre-service prayer this morning of the life of David. David is our ultimate worship example in the Bible. And if you don't know who David was, he was the king of Israel, and he became king after quite a rocky road. And after he became king, he still had quite a rocky road. And yet the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. In David, we see this man who chose to worship repeatedly. It was just a pattern of his life. He came before God to give him glory often. And we see that he came before God in anguish and frustration and in anger and elation and all of the spectrum of human emotion as well. But we see this pattern of David choosing to be a worshiper. And so we're going to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 this morning. 1 Chronicles 16. It's quite close to the front of your Bible. So you have the first five books the Pentateuch, written by Moses. And then we go into Joshua and the time of Judges, but then we enter the time of Kings. And so we see First Chronicles in this six books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verses 23 to 31. And we're not going to read the full chapter. We're just going to be picking out little highlights of it, but it's worth a read at home. So 1 Chronicles 16, 23. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the world all the earth the world is firmly established it cannot be moved let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let them say among the nations the lord reigns and there's this pattern that we see throughout this entire song and it's beautiful and it's echoed throughout the rest of scripture when it comes to worship and i think that the pattern is this we draw near we recognize and declare and then we surrender. John Piper said, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all things. Proximity, proclamation, perspective. Drawing near, declaring who God is, and surrendering to him. And that's a pattern that can be repeated outside of worship. Or like the song service. See? I'm using it synonymously. It can be repeated outside of this building. When we say at the end of the songs, we get up and say, and now we're going to just continue in our worship with giving and with the word, we mean it. Because we're declaring that God is provider we're offering him our generosity in return, worship. We're drawing near to God and learning of who he is in the word, worship. But he can go outside of this building. If I'm walking through the woods with my kids and I'm just in awe of the majesty of creation and it sparks faith conversations with my children, absolutely, that's worship. If I'm with my girlfriends and over coffee, we're sharing the faithfulness of God and stirring up faith with each other, that's worship. Worship isn't confined to any one style. It's not confined to singing. When we pray, we can be worshiping. When we're in our Bible, we can be worshiping. When we're walking by the ocean, we can be worshiping. Worshiping is a pattern of action. And it stays the same. We draw near to God, we recognize the truth of who he is, declare that, and we surrender. And we're participants of worship. I think that's important to note. We are participants, and God in all of his mercy allows us to benefit. But sometimes we come to worship expecting to be the ones who benefit from worship. Right? We kind of decide that we are the ones that the team up here is singing to instead of thinking of ourselves as the choir. And this myth that we've kind of adopted, whether we would say, yeah, that's true or not, consciously, is that 
we are changing things up because we are continuing on our series of trained up, developing the skills of faith. And this morning we're looking at the discipline of worship. And so we're actually going to worship post-message today instead of pre-message. I love singing worship. I always have. It was throughout all of my growing up years and still is probably my favorite part of the church gathered is lifting our voices up together to sing the praises of God. And I want to insert that word singing intentionally because while singing worship is worship, worship is not singing songs. Worship extends so much further than our song services and it extends so much further than this building, right? But we've gotten so used to using those two words synonymously. And so this morning, as we look at worship, we're going to look beyond that because worship is not just singing, although we will use that context in some of what we're talking about. But we want to look at the pattern of worship that extends to our life and to so many other ways that we glorify the name of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are everything. And as we look at this idea of the discipline of worship, it's really just giving you what you already are due, what you deserve, coming in reverence before you. And so would you help us to have the heart of a worshiper this morning in looking for the truth of who you are, the truth of how you operate in our lives God, as always, I just pray that you would speak this morning, and not me, but that your words, because you are the one who brings all truth and all change, would go forth in your precious name. Amen. When I think of a worshiper, right, David, and it actually came up in our pre-service prayer this morning of the life of David. David is our ultimate worship example in the Bible. And if you don't know who David was, he was the king of Israel, and he became king after quite a rocky road. And after he became king, he still had quite a rocky road. And yet the Bible tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. In David, we see this man who chose to worship repeatedly. It was just a pattern of his life. He came before God to give him glory often. And we see that he came before God in anguish and frustration and in anger and elation and all of the spectrum of human emotion as well. But we see this pattern of David choosing to be a worshiper. And so we're going to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 this morning. 1 Chronicles 16. It's quite close to the front of your Bible. So you have the first five books the Pentateuch, written by Moses. And then we go into Joshua and the time of Judges, but then we enter the time of Kings. And so we see First Chronicles in this six books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, chapter 16, verses 23 to 31. And we're not going to read the full chapter. We're just going to be picking out little highlights of it, but it's worth a read at home. So 1 Chronicles 16, 23. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the world all the earth the world is firmly established it cannot be moved let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let them say among the nations the lord reigns and there's this pattern that we see throughout this entire song and it's beautiful and it's echoed throughout the rest of scripture when it comes to worship and i think that the pattern is this we draw near we recognize and declare and then we surrender. John Piper said, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all things. Proximity, proclamation, perspective. Drawing near, declaring who God is, and surrendering to him. And that's a pattern that can be repeated outside of worship. Or like the song service. See? I'm using it synonymously. It can be repeated outside of this building. When we say at the end of the songs, we get up and say, and now we're going to just continue in our worship with giving and with the word, we mean it. Because we're declaring that God is provider we're offering him our generosity in return, worship. We're drawing near to God and learning of who he is in the word, worship. But he can go outside of this building. If I'm walking through the woods with my kids and I'm just in awe of the majesty of creation and it sparks faith conversations with my children, absolutely, that's worship. If I'm with my girlfriends and over coffee, we're sharing the faithfulness of God and stirring up faith with each other, that's worship. Worship isn't confined to any one style. It's not confined to singing. When we pray, we can be worshiping. When we're in our Bible, we can be worshiping. When we're walking by the ocean, we can be worshiping. Worshiping is a pattern of action. And it stays the same. We draw near to God, we recognize the truth of who he is, we declare that, and we surrender. And we're participants of worship. I think that's important to note. We are participants, and God in all of his mercy allows us to benefit. But sometimes we come to worship expecting to be the ones who benefit from worship. Right? We kind of decide that we are the ones that the team up here is singing to instead of thinking of ourselves as the choir. And this myth that we've kind of adopted, whether we would say, yeah, that's true or not, consciously, is that 
we've decided that worship kind of has everything to do with us when really it has nothing to do with us. Not even a little bit. It's why I can walk through the woods in worship even though I really hate walking through the woods. I'd much rather be walking by the ocean. But it's not about me. It's about Creator God who made these incredible trees and foliage and colors. It's why I can declare the truth of God even when the melody of the song gets on my nerves. There are a lot of them that do. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about declaring the truth of who God is. And the melody line doesn't matter. The lyrics do. My heart does. It's why I can choose the discipline of worship even when as a tired mom, my mind is wandering. And I have to rein it in over and over and over and over again. But that doesn't mean I give up. Because it's not about me. It's coming in surrender before the presence of Jesus and saying it's all about you and you are worthy of everything that I can give you right now. In Psalm 96, starting in verse 1, Psalm 96, it says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We worship God because he's worthy of it. And while we benefit from it, it has nothing to do with us. I don't worship because I love a song. I don't worship because I got caught up in the emotion of a moment because that makes worship about me. It's now about my preferences. It's now about my tastes. It's about my life. When I'm in a good spot, I'll worship. What's the flip side of the coin? If I don't like the song, I don't have to worship. If life is crummy right now, I don't have to worship. If I'm not feeling the emotion of this moment, I don't have to worship. That's a really dangerous point for us to get to. Because the truth is that God desires and demands our worship always. It's not about us. And when my worship is dictated by my fleeting human emotions, instead of the constant everlasting character of God then we're just singing songs. We're just walking through the woods. We're just having coffee with friends. We've stepped out of this attitude and heart of worship. Because it has to be greater than that. It has to be. Because this is the one who gave everything he had to redeem us. He deserves greater than that. And so... We're going to look at this pattern of worship, knowing it's not about us, even though God in his goodness allows us to benefit from worshiping him. Proximity, proclamation, and perspective. And for me, I think probably the hardest piece of this is that proximity. It's just step one. It's 
coming before God, drawing near to him. Because sometimes, if I'm just really honest, I don't want to. You've been there? Where there may be something in your life and you're like, I know as soon as I come into the presence of God, he is just going to hit me with it, which is not true. And that shame and that fear keeps us from entering into the presence of God. Or maybe it's not that, and it's like, I kind of like this brokenness right now. This sin is kind of comfortable. This sin is kind of numbing things for me right now. And I know that as soon as I enter the presence of God, he's going to say, Lisa, we got to work on this. And I just don't want to. We got to remember that God's always asks us to trade for something that's better. Always. And sometimes I'm just tired. And entering into the presence of God takes work and effort and energy that some days I just don't feel like I have. And the entering in is so hard because it automatically requires something of us. Now, I just want to rabbit trail for a second on that phrase that we use with worship. We enter into worship. We enter into the presence of God. And I'm a visual learner, and so when I read things, often I will create my own little movies in my mind. I'll add pictures to what I'm reading. It just helps me to learn better. And so as I was thinking about this phrase, entering in, I just can imagine, I'm not saying this is the Holy Spirit, this is just me being a learner. What I can imagine is just an entryway. And anybody that has had kids, teenagers, or young adults in your entryway, right? It's beautiful chaos. There are shoes everywhere. Like, some are underneath couches, right? Like, you just somehow, boom. You just think, you just slip them off. But no, they're hacked into multiple rooms. Coats are on top of each other. They find their way in places that you're like, how did your coat get in the bathroom? But it does. And as I was thinking about this entering in to the presence of God, I was thinking, what is it that we have to leave and take off to enter in, right? I wouldn't walk into your house with muddy shoes and my winter jacket on. I'd be really uncomfortable really fast. And so I leave those things behind at the front door. And what is the residue of the week? What are the hopes and fears of the week ahead? What are the sin that's so easily entangled? What are those things that we need to leave at the entryway of God's home to come into the living room and be in his presence. The power of proximity. And James talks about this in, in chapter 4, verse 8. He talks about proximity, and he's kind of going through a really hard chapter. It's not a feel-good one. He's talking about submitting our lives to God and, and right living in James 4, verse 8. 
he says in the midst of all of that, this beautiful phrase, come near to God and he will come near to you. And friends, drawing near to God is always worth it. Even when we're feeling ashamed, even when we're feeling afraid, even when we're feeling exhausted, because God doesn't stand stationary somewhere and allow me to do all of the work. It's not all on me to come towards him. I imagine God like the father of the prodigal son that the moment I take that first step and say, God, I'm surrendering my energy. God, I'm surrendering my fear. I'm surrendering my sin. I'm surrendering what I desire. He's not just taking a slow step matching my pace. He's sprinting at me. And all of a sudden, I look up, and God is there. He's near. Proximity. You know how sometimes we can see people from afar? Oh, I mean, we see them. We see them from afar. But we need to get near to really see them. I think about that with my kids. From afar, I mean, I see them. But when I'm close, that's when I see the freckles come out. That's when I see the dimples that only happen when they laugh. That's when I see this little spot of gold in Ethan's hair. To really see them, I have to be near. And we can worship God from afar, absolutely. We can, we can do big generalized statements of who he is from afar. But in order to really see him, in order to really worship him with the truth of who he is, we need to have proximity. We need to be near to see, to truly see him. In verse 10 of 1 Chronicles 16, because we're just going to camp here for a bit, it says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Jumping back to verse 28 that we read before, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. And this is an interesting phrase because it's actually meaning like associate to. So we're going to associate to God the families of nations. We're associate to God glory and strength. We're going to associate to God the glory due his name. We recognize these things in him because we're near. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And when we come face to face with God, when we see him, truly see him in nearness, we can't help but respond with the same proclamation of Psalm 57, 7. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. No wonder, because I see you, who you really are. And a little caution for this, because we can proclaim absolutely anything with gusto and exuberance. Anything. You ever had that conversation? You're just like biting your tongue because you just want to shake people and be like, fact check. Do some homework. This is wrong. It doesn't have to be with the Bible. It could be about anything. And it's so frustrating. It's why proximity matters. 
It's why we need to be in the word of God. It's why we need to know the presence of God. So that when something's not right, we know it. And when something is, we know it. Because we can proclaim anything with gusto. If we're not proclaiming truth, it's not worship. It's just hot air. But that sweet moment when truth washes over your soul and you know, like, what I'm singing, this is just truth. Have you had that moment? Have you had that moment in worship when you're just like, you know what, this, this is it. This is what I was created for, to worship God. When you really see him and you start to proclaim the truth of who he is. So we're just going to proclaim. I just chose a few snippets of songs and Marcus is going to put the lyrics up for us as we go. But feel free to join in.
matter if we sing in a different key. I'm so glad. But there's nothing that quite gets us out of our way like being confronted face to face with who God is in the best way. And those are some of my ultimate favorite songs. And every time I sing them and I come face to face with who God is, I just feel like something in my soul says that psalm. Like, no wonder, no wonder I can sing your praise. The power of proclamation. Worship doesn't just end with declaration. Worship always culminates into action. It always spurs us on to becoming like Jesus in surrender and sacrifice. I think after getting over our initial, do I enter in, do I not? Is this worth the effort? Is it not? Am I going to be okay? Is God going to hit me over the head? After we wrestle through that and we enter into the presence of God, then this, (laughs) this is the hard one. Because this doesn't always feel good. It's hard to worship God when life still hurts when you're done. And I will never forget, there's one worship service in particular that will forever be burned into my heart and into my memory. And it was the week that we found out that we might not be bringing our baby girl home. And I share this story in greater detail in the sermon, The Purpose of Pain, and you can find that on the website. But it was midweek, and we got the results, and in the ultrasound, Kaylee had a cyst in her brain. And her doctor just said, not sure what's going to happen. And you went, you're young, like, why don't you just have an abortion? Just... You're young. <laughs> and my set list was already picked for Sunday, and I'm so glad because the whole rest of the week was a complete blur of just feeling so lost. And that Sunday morning came, and I truly didn't have a clue what I picked, but God knew exactly what song I would need to sing. And so there with just our team, nobody knew yet. We had to sing this. You give and take away. You give and take away. But my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. I've never had praise hurt so bad that in that moment, never before and never since. But Hebrews 13, 15 talks to us about giving an offering of praise. It says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, And I didn't want to declare that that day. I didn't want to say, you know what, God, you are still sovereign if my baby girl doesn't come home. God, you're still good if this pregnancy doesn't end the way I want to. God, you're still here even when I don't feel 
like you are. And I'm being held even when I feel too weak to be up here. And through a throat that I didn't think any air would come through, the words of truth poured from my lips. And in that moment, the presence of God ministered to my heart. There was such grace because God was there. And honestly, as we look back over that period of time, we just see how God held us. And God healed Kaylee. She's here running around, taller than me. But honestly, when we reached out, so we didn't reach out right away, when we did reach out, we just asked people, can you just pray that our spirits would be sweet? And the grace of God allowed us to not come before him with blame and anger, and that's just God. It's not a testimony to us. But his strength held us. His sweetness permeated our hurt and our waiting. Because his presence is in our worship. And this was actually prayed this morning, and I just loved it because it's such a confirmation of our notes, but of my notes. But worship is warfare. Worship is declaring the truth of God when we don't feel it. It's declaring the realities that we don't see. Worship is choosing God over our worry. It's choosing God over our fear. It's choosing God over everything people are speaking to us, what we see in the human natural world. Worship is warfare. And it brings everything back into perspective. Because left on our own, we are really good at making things grow or shrink, aren't we? And all of a sudden, something that should just be such a small deal because of our past hurts, because of our insecurity, because of whatever, balloons. And things that maybe should be big deals. We're so good at allowing life to do that, to put our time, to put our energy, to put our mental focus, to talk about these things in just wrong sizes. But when we come back and we declare, we proclaim these truths of who God is, when we come back and we recognize who he is because we're near and we really see him, and we see the vast vastness of him we see the greatness of him we come to understand who he is in light of him everything goes back into its right size because we don't serve an absent god we see we serve a god who's living see i'm not gonna be able to say this word we serve a god who adores you who still speaks and meets his people. And I don't know how you came into this room this morning. If you came with all of the emotion of worship, right? Life's good. 
It's been an incredible week. You felt the presence of God. You recognize him. Or if you barely made it this morning. And honestly, in a few minutes when we sing, it will be a sacrifice of praise through a throat closed tight with tears. That's okay. It doesn't make your praise any less valuable, any less real, any less powerful. In fact, I think that praise, I think that's the one that moves heaven. But here's what I do know. I know that whenever we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Whether we feel it, we see it or not, truth is truth. I know that when we come near to God, we can't help but see him. And that the overflow of actually seeing God in the truth of who he is always bursts proclamation in us always causes our spirits to jump. It always brings us to awe and reverence that whenever we are face to face with God, that he does something incredible in us to help us look more like Jesus, to strengthen us. In his presence, we can't help but have him rub off on us, but worship is a discipline because it's not about us. It's about choosing to worship regardless. I love David. And when his baby died, what was the first thing he did? He got up and worshiped. Sacrifice of praise. Because God is worthy of our worship regardless of what life is doing for us. Regardless of what we feel. The team's gonna come up and we're gonna just have a time of worshiping together. And this summer, uh, we went to pastor's camp and Ethan got sick and so I got a day in. And that one session, a pastor that I greatly admire was sharing in the morning. And ahead of getting up to speak, she was just sitting, and I don't think anyone noticed, no one minded. She can sit, you can sit in worship, that's fine. And then she got up to speak and she shared a little bit about what the past year had been for her and for her family. And she said, I was just sitting and I was allowing my brothers and sisters to sing over me allowing the truth that was declared to be a bomb for my hurts, to strengthen me. And this morning, maybe you are ready to get up and sing with gusto. It's great. Or maybe you need to sit. Maybe you need to enter in to the living room leaving your shoes and coats at the door and allow the voices of your brothers and sisters to wash truth over your soul. Proclaiming not out loud to others, proclaiming quietly to yourself 
the truth of who God is. Because we're so good at believing the lies. And God's there wanting to soak his presence into our thirsty places and our wounded places and our tired places when we look for him, when we see him. 